his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Instacart for the win. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Coming up this week on our program, we're getting set for bees. Harold Kiner is going to be here to tell us why bees, especially honeybees, are important and what you can do in order to help preserve them throughout the upcoming summer season. We're also going to hear for the men. It's time to visit the doctor. Well, in this case, it's actually Dawn Webster. She's a physician's assistant with MedExpress in Pittsburgh, and she has some very good tips for the guys so they'll stay healthy. We're also going to meet Denise Coomer. She is with Tracy's Hope and Hospice, and she's going to talk about a very difficult time when you have to say goodbye to your pets. But first, we'll start off today with Intercom's Rocky and Lissa. They caught up with Dr. Rue, and he's going to give us the latest of what's happening at Geisinger as far as coronavirus is concerned. Dr. Rue, the number of uh, new cases in Luzerne County, I know on Monday, the last numbers I saw were pretty much down to single digits. But in order for us to move from red to yellow, we have to have, what, less than 50 new cases per 100,000 in, in like two weeks. Are we anywhere near that point? I don't know the exact number as far as the latest count, but I think the criteria sounds right. I think one of the things that we always caution folks is one or two days doesn't make a meaningful trend. And so hmm. when there's two weeks of something, you start feeling a lot better that it's actually sustained and it's going to last. I think that's the rationale behind making sure that the number and the trend isn't just a one or two day blip, but it's more sustainable and longer lasting. So I think we have to wait for that drop to make sure that that's staying put. And then the other thing to remember is as far as the impact on the healthcare systems and hospitals like ours, we see a little bit of a lagging dynamic, meaning the number of new cases is the leading indicator. But anytime we see a spike up or a decline down, that ultimately reflects in how many people land in the hospital, you know, in the next week or two after that. You want to see it for a prolonged period of time, A, to make sure it's real, but B, because there is a lag on when it impacts the health system. And so the number may go down over a period of two or three days, 
but the health system may still be overwhelmed because it's going to take another week or two for that downturn to reflect in fewer patients in the hospital, if that makes sense. Gotcha. It's a yeah, lot of complexity. I apologize. It's sort of like all the different layers of nuance around how to interpret the data. No, that makes sense. I have a question because, Dr. Rue, I have a disease. It's called chronic hugger disease. I have to hug people that I love. What is your stance on hugging if people have been quarantined separately or family members? Where do you stand on this? Yeah, you know, we get asked this question a lot, and and obviously that's what family members do. But if you are quarantined, either because there's a suspicion that you have the virus or you have a test result that's pending, in any of those circumstances, you absolutely shouldn't be near anybody, whether it's family, friends, neighbors, anybody else. That's the whole purpose is making sure that you have the distancing so that you're not putting others at risk. And of course, those closest to you that you love, your family members who you want to hug, those are obviously also the same people that you want to make sure are protected. We would say absolutely should not be hugging. Dang it. We were talking a little while ago about travel. Is it safe to travel for the Memorial Day weekend? And if so, to what extent? This is a tough question. I mean, I, we first of all recognize that it's difficult. The hunkering down, the sheltering in place, all of us as a society have some degree of cabin fever going on where we want to get out and about a little bit. But I do think we got to be very careful. Any kind of travel that's going to subject you to larger gatherings, I think that's still prudent to avoid. If it's possible to go somewhere pretty remote, you could still maintain distancing. I think that's one thing. If you go into a different environment where you're going to be around other people, different people you haven't interacted with, or distancing becomes a lot more difficult, that's the kind of travel I would avoid. And so sometimes we get asked the question about beaches. You go to a beach where there are a lot of people congregated, that's an area I would probably avoid. But if you go to that same beach and you're pretty sure that there's going to be no one within 50 yards of you and it's pretty isolated, that may be just fine. The other is how to get there. Places that require air travel, air travel is one of those things that unless it's necessary and essential, I don't think now's the time to do that. And then if you're traveling by car, obviously you want to make sure you're in the car with people that, frankly, you've been hunkered down with. If you're you know, picking up two different friends from two different areas and road tripping together. This probably ain't the time for Thelma and Louise to happen. So. <laughs> Hard enough to plan a vacation to begin with. Yeah. With all these other factors. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, if you do plan a getaway somewhere nearby, you can drive with people that you've already been around and somewhere where you can be still maintaining distancing from others. Those are the considerations. I'll just change my screensaver to something tropical. We can let's end with something positive, uh, another positive story or something you've seen in the last week. Well, we're seeing a lot of these. And I think I mentioned to you all before we have the celebration song, I think a week and a half ago, we had the hundredth discharge both at GCMC up in Scranton and at GWV in Wilkes-Barre. We continue to see people coming off of ventilators every day. I think the big thing is people are getting pretty creative around events that have taken place before last week, I think, or over this past weekend was the Heart Walk up in the Wilkes-Barre area. And I know that we're always pretty active in that. Our folks are. It's for a great cause. 
A lot of places have also been doing this, but for that heart walk this year, they went virtual. And so everybody who participated was out walking on their own with their families, with their friends. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And, and they captured it through video and with pictures and just a phenomenal event, but a good illustration of how things can continue. They look very different. So you're not walking with hundreds of other people, but you know, I thought that was a pretty cool story. And then of course, this past weekend, and this week, we had both Nurses Week and Hospital Week, which was an opportunity for us to celebrate not just our nurses, but also all the others who work in these hospitals. And then this week is National EMS Week for all the first responders and emergency medical staff. And so a lot of these National Week celebrations just happens to be hitting at this time. It's actually very timely because it's a reminder and a good excuse to celebrate folks that have really risen to the occasion. So those have been some of the updates from this last week. Well, thank you for everything you guys do at Geisinger. And we're, we're going to show our thanks by continuing to distance and heed your words. That's how we'll show our gratitude. Well, awesome. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Hola, les habla Carlos Peña, anteriormente primera base de las Grandes Ligas. Ahora todos confrontamos un momento muy difícil y crítico en nuestras vidas. Ya sabemos que esta pandemia es peligrosa y amenaza a la población mundial. COVID-19 no es una broma. Todos tenemos la esperanza de que esto termine, pero en este momento necesitamos tomar serias precauciones para proteger nuestra salud. Podemos hacer lo siguiente. Mantengámonos distanciados socialmente, por lo menos seis pies de distancia entre nosotros y otras personas. Aún gente sin síntomas pueden ser portadores contagiosos y propagar COVID-19 en la comunidad. La mejor manera de prevenir el COVID-19 es evitar exponerse a él. Quédense en casa lo más posible. Si no necesita salir, no lo haga. Evitemos los grupos. Lavémonos las manos a menudo y utilicen máscaras y guantes cuando lo amerite. Dios mediante, regresaremos más fuerte que antes. Pero todos necesitamos poner nuestro granito de arena. Al cuidarnos a nosotros mismos y a nuestras familias, cuidamos también a los demás. Muchas gracias. Hello, this is former Major League First Baseman Carlos Peña. Right now, all of us are going through a very difficult moment in our lives, very critical. The pandemic we're facing is seriously threatening life as we know it. COVID-19 is no joke. We will get through this, but there are things that all of us must do to protect each other and to protect those who are closest to us and ourselves. For example, we can maintain social distancing. That means keeping six feet between yourself and anyone else. Even people without symptoms may still be able to spread COVID-19. The best way to stop this virus from growing is to avoid being exposed to it. Stay home as much as possible. If you don't have to go outside, don't. Avoid groups. Wash your hands often. Our world will come back stronger than ever before, but we all need to help by caring for yourself, your loved ones, your family, and for caring for others. Thank you. Thank you, Carlos. And later on in Special Edition, we'll be hearing from Albert Pujols, and he will also have some good tips of staying safe while more areas open up throughout the coronavirus pandemic. Now don't go away. Saying goodbye to a pet can be difficult, but there is help out there, and we'll introduce you to Denise, and she has the answers. Also joining us, we're going to meet Dawn Webster. She's a physician's assistant with MedExpress in Pittsburgh, and you might want to get the guys around the radio. The health tips are for them. 
More to come on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Having to say goodbye to a pet is a very difficult thing. Tracy's Hope Hospice Care Program and Rescue is one agency that provides help for those who have to go through such an ordeal. They provide hospice care for pets that are disabled, elderly, or terminally ill. Denise Kumor is the president and CEO of Tracy's Hope Hospice based in Durier, and she's going to tell us about some services that they offer that maybe a lot of people don't even know about. Tracy's Hope is a nonprofit organization that caters to Luzerne and Lackawanna counties, rescuing animals, working with the DA's office and uh, the police departments to prosecute animal abusers. We do hospice care. We bring euthanization to the homes of terminally ill pets. And let's talk about that because a lot of people don't realize that. You actually can be there and do that for your pet with help. How do they how would someone go about doing that? Well, what they would do they would call us and we try to ask them to call early, not the day before they think the pet has to be euthanized. And we work with the families, we help them through things. We provide um, in-home euthanization services with a veterinarian. So let's say that someone has a pet who they know is getting a little bit older and is ha- starting to have some problems. Would that be the time that they would contact you and say, I think this is going to happen and this is how I would like it to happen? Absolutely. That's the best time to call, to give us time to uh, actually work through some of these things with the pet owners and the pet. I guess because there's so much talk about hospice care for people, this is something that we normally wouldn't think about for our pets. So what happens when someone contacts you? What's the first thing that you would do? Well, I would talk to them. I would I would go down to see the pet um, and go over anything, uh, give them my opinion, see how the pet is medically, uh, and then uh, we would work through helping them to make a decision. You're mostly thinking about pain. I never want to see my pets in pain. I know that's what I've always said when it's come to that time. Is that something that you can help with as well? Absolutely. We would encourage that um, the veterinarian, their veterinarian, would make sure that there is um, adequate pain medication to let the veterinarian know that we're involved. Once that happens, then the family can contact you and do you spend time with them as well? Oh, yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. And when you're going through something like this, again, I know how tough it is. Been there, done that. Oh, I don't know. It is is hard. It never gets any easier. No, absolutely. Never does. So what do you tell people? Well, when they're approaching the time when they're making a decision about euthanization, I always tell them that it's the final act of love, that that pet was loyal to them all their lives, and now they need to serve them with unconditional love and make that decision. How long can you be with a family once a, once they contact you and say, 
I would like to find out about hospice care for my pet? Well, basically, it's on an individual case uh, process. Um, We spend time, we talk on the phone, you know, we check in with them, they call us, uh, I provide them with my cell number, and they call us when they need to talk or with any changes in the pet's health. And I I think that's something that a lot of people, um, even when you talk about hospice for humans, Mm -hmm. that it's not the day of, as you mentioned in the very beginning, that's the same thinking process. Right, right, exactly. And when it's the day of, we do spend time afterwards, after the fact, but it's so important to get through this with somebody that uh, does it all the time. That's very difficult, I'm sure. It is. I think also people understand that when they're dealing with someone who has contacted other people and done that, sometimes they have they don't feel as confined in their feelings. Do you find that? Yes, definitely. And it's so important to for us not to make that decision. We we try to make sure that it's the pet owner that that comes to that conclusion because a lot of times they will look to us like, well, what should I do? And it's uh, we offer them different uh, perspectives so that they can make the decision on their own. Very tough. Commend yes. you for all of the things like that that you do. Oh, thank you. Tracy's Hope Hospice was one of those organizations that had to cancel their big fundraiser this year because of the coronavirus pandemic. If you would like to help by making a donation or to find out more about volunteering, you can visit their Facebook page, Tracy's Home Hospice Care and Rescue for Domestic Animals Incorporated, or you can always check out their website, tracyshope.com. Next on Special Edition, this one's just for the guys. And of course, Father's Day is right around the corner. So you want to be your healthy best in order to enjoy and the upcoming summer season as well. Dawn Webster is a physician's assistant with MedExpress in Pittsburgh. Dawn has some very good tips for the guys to stay healthy and for those of us who love them and want them to stay at their healthy best. Dawn, there are many women who are probably listening today who can relate to the phrase, if I don't do it for my husband, it won't get done. And most of the time, that tends to go toward health care because it seems guys always seem to think it's not that bad. It's going to go away. So let's talk a little bit about men's health. Am I kind of true on that? Yes, absolutely. I would agree with that. So what can we do in order to get them a little bit more receptive? Uh, I mean, if it's if it's really bad, they'll go. But what about when we see something going on and instead of nagging and saying, come on, you have to or whatever, what are some things that maybe we can do in order to inspire them to get the care they might need? Sure. So I think the most important thing would be to make their, you know, yearly or even twice a year appointment with their family doctor. So it's their family doctor's job, really, to be the ones that are on top of them for all the different screenings, all the different blood work. Their family doctor is essentially, you know, the person that's really going to push and let them know, hey, you're five years 
past due on this colonoscopy, or we haven't done blood work in three years. So that's, it's going to take it out of our hands completely. As long as we get them into that family doctor, they're going to be the ones who are really pushing for them to get all of their screenings done. And, you know, after, you know, talking to them about their past medical history and their family history, they're going to really know which ones to, to focus on and, you know, really make the priority. And a lot of times there are certain things, especially when we talk about heart attacks, and we've talked about heart attacks before, but in men, there seem to be some kind of traditional symptoms. Can you just go over some of those so that in case any of the guys are listening, it might even give them a little bit more inspiration? Sure, absolutely. So with men, it's, it's the typical, you know, heart attack symptoms. They have chest pain or pressure, you know. I mean, classic is feels like there's an elephant sitting on my chest. A lot of times that pain or pressure can radiate or move to the left arm, the left side of the neck, or even the left back. A lot of times they think they, they pulled a muscle or strained something just because of the way it kind of aches. Um, the other thing to kind of keep an eye on is, does it happen every time they're cutting the grass? Does it happen every time they're, you know doing any type of exertional activity, that's a red flag. And then they also kind of have to be cognizant of their family history. You know, did their dad, grandpa, and great-grandpa all have heart attacks in their 50s? Well, that's a huge red flag that, you know, they need to get checked, they need to get screened, because it is. It's a huge genetic factor um, in terms of, you know, cholesterol and blockages. So that's one of the huge things that I like to stress is, is, you know, paying attention to your family history also. When we're talking about men's health, we're talking about things such as heart attacks. And another big issue is prostate problems. And there's been a lot of changes in the way that uh, physicians are looking and treating things like prostate cancer. But before you get to that, are there different types of warning signs or things that, again, a guy might notice that would say, hmm, maybe this is something a little bit more than just I think it is? Sure. So some of the big things you'd want to watch out for um, is changes in your urine stream. So you go to the bathroom and you can't get it to start. That's called hesitancy. Or the stream is weaker or slower than normal. Um, You know, those are kinds of red flags that something may be going on. But, you know, going back to that family doctor, there is a blood test. Um, It's called the PSA. And it is a screening test that, if elevated, tells you something could be going on and you need to investigate it further. So, you know, they don't always even have to do the exam, the, the dreaded prostate exam. A lot of times they just do the blood work if the blood work's fine you know, depending on the age and the family history, that's all that needs to be done. So it's not as bad as it seems. When when we're going through a lot of these different things, one of the things that you mentioned with the family doctor is the colonoscopy. And that's supposed to be around the age of 50. And it's not always, again, it's it's just like going into your doctor and talking about prostate. You don't necessarily want to do that because, well, for whatever reason. But again, are there things that men should look for so that they don't think about putting it off and, and really say, well, maybe I should go because I've noticed what? So any changes in your stool. So if you're 
you know, men are pretty typical at, you know, going to the bathroom once a day, every day, like clockwork, if that changes. Or all of a sudden they start having issues with constipation they never had before. And then obviously big red flags would be any type of blood, any type of red, um, black um, stools. Black stools are actually a sign of blood in the stool, just kind of higher up in the GI tract, blood that's kind of been digested. So um, pretty much any changes in bowel function. One of the other things, too, and maybe in this day and age, men are a little bit more conscious of it. But what about weight? Weight seems to be uh, one of those factors that, of course, men and women look at in many different ways. But is there a different way that men should be thinking about their weight than women? Sure. So um, in terms of weight circumference, that's kind of a big one when it comes to to early um, diabetes type 2. So studies have shown that waist circumference, kind of that midsection, um, you know, if your legs and arms kind of seem how they used to be, but your your abdomen keeps growing, um, that's kind of a precursor for diabetes type 2. So that's one of the things you want to look at, and that's one of the things that they're kind of starting to, to look at more in terms of screening. But yeah, men normally... Um, you know, when women get older and they go through menopause, their hormones kind of change their metabolism, and, the, and, and men don't have that quite as much. So a lot of times men don't start gaining like women do. But when they do, that could be a sign that you have something else going on, like diabetes or, um, you know, really there's other things, too, um, that overweight can, can cause, like sleep apnea, I mean, there's just so many things. So, yeah, weight is important to kind of keep under control. And you mentioned the diabetes. Is there a way to tell that someone may have diabetes? And and maybe it's not just the same way in men, but maybe in women as well? Sure. Yeah. So, again, back to the simple blood work. So um, when you do get your blood work done, you're going to have to fast, which means no eating before your test. Typically, they have you start around 10 to 12 hours before the test. So you want to schedule it for the first thing in the morning. And they look at a fasting glucose. So the glucose is the amount of sugar that's in your body. And, um, you know, every year it kind of changes as far as, uh, you know, what the guidelines are. But that's, you know, essentially what they'll look at. And if it is high or even just a little bit high, then they're going to tell you you're a pre-diabetic, which essentially means if you don't make some changes to your lifestyle, watch your diet, start exercising, lose a little bit of weight, then, you know, you're going to unfortunately be looking at diabetes in a couple of years. What do you see most when men come in to MedExpress? Because, again, you're, sometimes they can treat you as their primary physician because a lot of men and women don't have a primary physician. They only go when something is wrong. So what would you say would be one of the biggest things that you see in your practice? Sure. So men, most of the time, um, one of the first things they say is, I'm here because my wife you know, made me come, or if they're younger, my mom made me come. That would be me. Um, yeah, but a lot of the times it is because they're sick, you know, um, and they'll say, they'll say, I never go to the doctor, I never get sick, and unfortunately, a lot of times, by the time we see them, they are pretty sick, you know, they, they started off with a cold or, you know, a virus and simple bronchitis, and a lot of times it does, it turns into some bad things like pneumonia, so a lot of times when the men come in, it, it is for illness. 
or injury, you know, they, they really hurt their back and they've been limping around for a week and their wife finally said enough, enough, you need to go to the doctor. Don, what would you say as we wrap up our discussion today on men's health, what would you say are some of the things that those guys need to start paying a little bit more attention to? Sure. So my biggest takeaway is make an appointment with your family doctor, get those screenings done, get them on your radar. Even if they're too young for the screenings, if they're not 50 yet, they don't need the colonoscopy. It does not hurt to get in there and establish with the family doctor get the blood work done, and just make sure everything looks good. I think that that's my biggest takeaway. My second takeaway is any changes. So like we talked about earlier, you know, if, if you do start having any type of chest pressure, even if you don't call it pain, if it doesn't feel painful to you, it just kind of feels pressure-like, those are red flags. Any changes in the way you normally feel is potentially something that could be wrong. So any type of change is something to kind of keep an eye on. Hola, soy Albert Pujols de Los Angelinos de Anaheim. Ya sabemos que este virus amenaza a la población entera. Esta época va a pasar, pero en este momento necesitamos hacer algunas cosas ahora. Mantenga distancia social. Esto significa que no puede acercarse a otro entre seis pies. La mejor manera de prevenir el COVID-19 es evitar exposición a la enfermedad. Quédese en casa lo máximo tiempo posible. Evitar grupos. Lavar la mano a menudo. Nuestro mundo regresa más fuerte, pero todo necesitamos ayudar. Gracias. Hi, this is Albert Pujols with the Los Angeles Enyo. This virus we are facing is seriously threatening life as we know it. We will get through this, but there are things that all of us must do now. Maintain social distance. That means keeping six feet between yourself and anyone else. The best way to stop this virus from growing is to avoid being exposed to it. And stay home as much as possible. Avoid group, wash your hands. Our world, we will get stronger, but we all need your help. Thanks, Albert, for the good advice on staying healthy, just like we heard from Don Webster. Now, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to find out all about bees. Yes, it's that season, and they're important. Harold Kiner's here. He'll tell you why and how you can help on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Did you know this past Thursday was World Bee Day? That's how important bees are to the environment and to the entire world. Also, coming up in August, it's National Honey Bee Day. If you're a bee fan, we have someone who's going to give you all the insight that you need into bees. Let's introduce you to Harold Kiner. Harold, this is the first time that I've ever talked to anyone in depth about bees, probably because, and it's probably not a good thing to say to you, but they're not my favorite critters. Oh, come on. Yeah. So what can you tell me about bees? There's tons of them out there. Yes, there are tons of bees. I mean, the one that most everybody is associated with is the honeybee uh, because the honeybee is used for pollination for many crops. Uh, honeybee was brought to this country back in 1620. Well, 1622 it came here and it was shipped in 1621 in the fall on a on the ships. Shipped? Shipped. Brought here? Brought here from the 
Europe. So he's not a Native American. Nope. Honey Bee is not a Native American bee. Okay. Uh, But there are, in Pennsylvania, there's over 450 Native bees on record that they have found, and they're all named bees of, I don't know, all the Give me an example of one. Well, of you've one got, Pennsylvania you, bee. You got the mason bee, the blue orchard bee is the mason bee. What about the bumblebee? Well, the bumblebee is also a native bee. Here, to Pennsylvania? Yeah, to Pen- well, to the country. Oh, yes. okay. I mean, it's it's everywhere. But th- there are over 20,000 bees in the world, 20,000 different varieties of bees in the world. And do they all help with pollination? Pretty much, yes. A honeybee is a, it pollinates more so uh, one crop at a time, if it finds a nice group of flowers, it goes to that flower because they tell each other. It's a, they're a social social community. Many of the native bees are, I shouldn't say antisocial, but they're they're bees that work by themselves. One bee lays her eggs, puts food with that egg, and that egg hatches, eats that food, and then goes out and does the same thing. Uh, where honeybees, you have a queen in the hive, you've got, in the middle of the summer, you've got 40,000, 50,000 worker bees. And approximately 5 to 10% of those are male bees. In one hive? In one hive. In a, in a good, strong hive in the middle of the summer, yes. Because wow. they, they build up from the time that uh, spring comes around and the honey flow, st- I shouldn't say honey flow, nectar flow begins. And uh, as the better the flow... The more bees will be there because there's more food for the the bees to feed to the back babies. into the hive. Yes. So when we're talking about bees, how can we tell the difference between I, I know the difference between a bumblebee because they're big. Yes. And a honeybee is kind of small and yellow kind of yeah. but how would you know? Would it would you know by what they go after? No, uh because honeybees will uh pollinate the same thing that many native bees do. Uh, it's just your native bees. It's the way they they don't actually have a hive. Uh, you can make a nest for mason bees. Make it out of a box or a coffee can and some paper straws because they like to put their eggs into a a long tube. So you could do that at your house? Yes. Anyway. And invite that they just know that and invite yeah, them in? Yeah, in time, yes. Now they need they need some water. They need a little bit of mud because that, that's what they use to uh, break up each cell. They use a little pack of mud and then the, the new bee chews its way through the mud and goes out and does its thing. Wow. Now, for pollination. you have an aviary. Apiary. Apiary. Yes. Apiary. Apiaries are birds. That's all. That's That's okay. That's okay. It's not the first time. (laughs) Well, good. At least I know I'm one of many. (laughs) Well, this the the what you have. How do you know where to start with something? Because I know that there are some beekeepers. There are quite a few in our area. But if if somebody listening said. I'm interested in making something like that for these little mason bees. I'd like to have some. How do you get started in something like that? Well, there's a lot of information online as far as mason bee nests go. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can make fancy ones out of wood, but you use a paper straw. They don't like plastic. Uh, and you use different size straws because the mason bee is one. The leaf cutter bee likes a different size straw. 
You can usually get away with two different size straws. Uh, mason bees will make their nest in almost any little hole they can find. Do you have any of them? Yes. And where did Harold come up with the idea that he wanted to have a world of bees? Well, we used to have a small nursery. I started it before I retired from my full-time work. And, well, when I retired, we got the honeybees, and they've kind of taken over my life in a sense because, in a, in a sense, they're addicting because you've got one or two hives and you split them into four. Uh, and you can, right now, there's approximately 30 hives in our, up behind our barn. Last year, we had almost 50 by the end of the summer, but you lose bees over the winter. Uh, this is one of the problems for the bees is that they uh, there's mites out there that carry diseases and uh, and they then it's not just for the honeybees they affect bumblebees and uh, even wasps and yellow jackets mm. yellow jackets I don't care what you do with yellow jackets. Oh. <laughs> I was gonna ask you about them too but they, 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 are they, they a cousin to the bee no they're, no? they're from a different I mean oh. they are from the, the same strain um, I don't know all the breakdown, but they are from the same strain, if you want to call it Hymenoptera. And there's, they seem to be a little nastier yes. than the bees. Yes. Honey, or yellow jackets, they'll, they'll attack for no reason, really. Uh. Honey bees, they only attack to protect themselves. Oh. Uh, or to protect their hive. And, I mean, they don't really attack, in a sense. I mean, if by chance you pinch a honeybee, first she'll vibrate, so she knows you're there, but if you don't let her go, or you pinch her too hard, she'll sting you. Well, yeah. <laughs> the big thing when a honeybee stings is she actually leaves her stinger in you. So you'd know if it was a honeybee, but you want to get it out as quickly as possible because as she pulls away, it leaves a venom sac with ah. the stinger. So you don't want to squeeze that little sac to pull it out. You want to scrape it away with your fingernail or something like a credit card. Um is that what and causes it, the, um, the the person who might be allergic to it? Is that well, the venom is the venom? what does that. But yellow jackets and wasps they can um, they can sting you multiple times. They don't have a barbed stinger. Mm. See, honeybee doesn't want to sting you because she's going to die when she stings and she pulls away. It pulls part of her insides out when that venom sac comes out. So. It's just a... If they could see the look on my face right now, all of a sudden I feel really bad for her. Yeah. So they, <laughs> Sometimes they get there and they don't even realize what they're doing. No, no, very true. Um, now, where did just, you get your first honeybees? Is this something that you send away for in the catalog? You, and, you can send away for them. You can um, get them from... Sometimes you can get them locally. The best bees you can get are usually local because if they've overwintered, uh, many of the bees that you get come from Georgia, California, because they can keep bees alive down oh. there because their winter is much shorter, so there's more food for the bees to, to grow. And they you can buy packages of bees. You can buy what they call nucleus colonies, which are usually a four- or five-frame box of bees with a laying queen. Mm. A package of bees is just a, about three pounds of bees in a box, with a queen in a cage, and she's basically not related to those bees. Those bees have been shaken from other hives into this box, and then she's placed in there in the cage to the shipper 
or to ship that package to wherever it's going. And there's a process of getting her to know what uh, or to have the bees accept her. You leave her in her cage for three, four days, and some cages have sugar candy in one end. And the bees from inside chew on it, bees from outside chew on it, and they release her that way. But by then, they've picked up her pheromones, and they're used to her, and they'll 99 times out of 100, they'll accept her. Can you track bees if you if they're coming from all these different places? Would you be able to put a mark somewhere or you can't? Yes, you can you can mark bees. There's a gentleman up in New York that does a lot of that. Uh, Tom Seeley works uh, with Cornell and he has tracked bees to find he does a lot of work with feral bees in trees and that's how he'll he'll grab bees and he'll mark them. And then what they do is they actually time how long it takes the bee to go back and forth from like a floral source or they'll even put out sugar water. And they'll time, and they can tell approximately how far away the, the hive is and then the direction that the bee flew. Because bees fly pretty much in a straight line if they can. I mean, yes, they'll go around things, but they, they use as the crow flies pretty much. But- um, Point A to point B, the hive yes. back to where they are, and where mm-hmm. you mentioned something interesting, interesting there about going and touching, and you do a lot of that. Yes, it's you get in the you get in there with them. Yes, yes. I mean, why? Uh, <laughs> well, you have to manage the bees. I mean, and you're looking at least once every two weeks. You want to go in and look for uh, eggs. And if you can see the queen, that's great. But if you see eggs, you know the queen is still alive. The queen, because you can actually hurt the queen and the bees will kill her and try to replace her. Uh, because if she's injured, she may not be able to lay enough eggs. And which she can lay, a good queen can lay 1,500 eggs a day. Uh, so that's about every 21 days, that's... 1,500 new bees. That's how you get to that 40, 50,000 bees by midsummer. Wow. Uh, if you've got a good good colony, good queen, I mean, it builds fast. Wow. And it's funny because you can have two sittings side by side, and um, the one, one builds up fast and the other is kind of, eh, let's just hang out. Uh, and we'll, we'll manage. We'll get by. Even though the queen is laying, but they don't. Because everything is, it's all tied together. It's a social group. And the queen kind of controls things with her pheromones. But the bees also control because if they're not bringing in food, she's not laying eggs. Ah. So, I mean. So what's it like when you have to, and I know you've done this in our area, because there have been some very unusual places that bees will swarm. Yes. And you go in there and there's, you know, pictures that we see just incredible. But you well, do that. Bees, bees will swarm. Um, they'll go to a temporary location, usually in a tree. And uh, sometimes it's down low. Sometimes it's up too high to get to unless you've got uh, specialized equipment to be able to get up there. If I can get to them from a six-foot ladder, um, I'll go get the, the bees out of a tree or What whatever. are you wearing? A suit. You, wear, wear, you, know, you can wear a full suit. Or you, I have a jacket with a veil 
I always recommend wearing a veil. There's some people that don't because they, but then you see their pictures on Facebook and as such, and their eyes swollen shut because they've been stung in the face. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, if a bee somehow gets in there, you can't get that veil off fast enough <gasps> to make sure that she's not in there. Wow. To get her away. I mean, because I don't want to get stung in the face. It's stung in the hands lots. It's stung in the, the legs. Sometimes it helps my knees because they say apotherapy is good for You're arthritis. Right. I was going to ask you about that. I'm yeah. glad you mentioned That's that. That's one thing that they do is <laughs> I mean, people will sting themselves because it, it helps with pain sometimes. Wow. So See, uh, now, at, at your business, do you sell honey? Yes. I just can't imagine walking up and saying, well, Harold, I'd like some of Queen 2's honey today and Queen 3, the ne- or, well, or does it all kind of go basically, together? Basically, all of our honey goes together. We've got uh, what I call a spring wildflower and a fall wildflower. The spring wildflower is, of course, from the, the spring, early summer flowers, and it's a lighter color where the fall is a darker honey. And it comes from the, well, goldenrod, asters, and some of uh, the Japanese knotweed. Uh, Japanese knotweed makes a great honey, a real sweet tasting. How do you know what bees are eating what? Well, you don't. That's why I just consider mine. Um, What's local? Yes, basically uh. wildflower honey. Um, if you've got, say you take your bees to pollinate an apple orchard, you can consider it apple uh, apple honey because they're bringing back some nectar from those flowers and they're doing that for a couple weeks so you pull you can pull those frames of honey and you could consider it apple apple honey wow Um, there's there's a lot i mean there's many different varieties of honey but i don't i don't move my bees my bees all stay behind the house uh, because it's just there's a lot of time involved in moving them i always have to be moved at night because the bees don't that way when they get up in the morning uh you don't want to confuse them right you're not confusing (laughs) them as much they have to orient toward their new location and there are many people that move bees that's what that's how they make their living oh commercial beekeepers they're i mean in the in february there's approximately two million hives moved to california to pollinate the almond trees from where all over the country they how they, trucks on trucks yep on trucks are they are they cooled nope no nope. they that's they drive at night they're netted so to keep the bees in but they they do most of their driving at night and sometimes they'll drive straight through they'll have two fellows in the cab and they'll drive straight through because well february is not too bad temperature wise but uh still i mean once they get out to the Southwest, it can get hot. Oh, absolutely. And that was going to be one of the other questions I asked you, too, because we mentioned about the difference in the winter time. And and do you bring yours inside in the winter? Nope. Does your wife, Alice, like say, Harold, no, it's coming October. We're not bringing the bees in. She will say that because I (laughs) I told her, I said, let's put an observation hive in the living room. (gasps) She told me no. They used to have one of those. I don't even know if they still do at the Everhart Museum in Scranton. It's possible. With I the honeybees in the basement. That mm-hmm. I was fascinated. Yeah. That's why when I got had the opportunity to talk to you, I jumped on this. That's See, great. When they if if you bring them inside where it's warm, they would want to go out. And Well, this uh, had a this had an in and an out yes, to it. But yeah. what I'm saying, they would want to go out 
and they'd go out and uh, they don't they don't normally fly below uh, fifty degrees. Oh, I mean, you'll see, I see you'll see some out in colder temperatures, but a lot of them go out and they can't get back because their their muscles get too cold, their wing muscles, so they can't fly back. So you've spent a lot of time being a bee person, a beekeeper. What would you like to be able to leave our audience with for those of us who are mm, a little bee suspicious? <laughs> well, don't, don't be afraid of a honeybee. I mean, they're not going to sting you on purpose. I mean, uh, there's always that chance. But just because you get stung doesn't mean it was a honeybee, so don't blame a honeybee. And if you're interested in uh, the bees, you can always contact me. Uh, there's a Facebook page, Kiner's Apiary or Luzerne County Beekeepers Association. And uh, best thing to do is do a lot of reading. If you want to be a beekeeper, you got to, in my opinion, you got to do some studying before you start it. You don't just put the bees in a box and hope that they manage. But I always tell new beekeepers, the bees don't read the books that we read because bees do what they want to do. I mean, they know what to do and they, they control the hive. I mean, we just try to manage them. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.